We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know. And sometimes, the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Don Palumbo. Don't Lanto, I'm really out of breath on that one. Yeah, you, you really... I like, your I, breath like, like, I had like one whole breath that entire intro. The reason I always say Don Palumbo after she reads it or she says Joan Olanto was because the first time we ever did this, she didn't know she could like pause for a breath. Right. It's still very new at recording. I was like, Don. I'm like 38. And I'm and still like, like, can I pause? Is that how that works? It's like Don Palumbo. Yeah, I was like, I'm so out of breath. And I was like, yeah, thanks for introducing me. Joan Olanto. Thanks. <laughs> and it naturally became the intro to the show. Yeah, it works. So thank you everyone for being here with us this evening. We are coming at you from a typical brewery and barrel works in Minot, North Dakota, our hometown. And we greatly, greatly appreciate this amazing partnership that we have with them. And we, we look forward to continuing to grow that. And of course, we greatly appreciate you in the audience being with us tonight and those that are listening to this when we release it. Yeah, it's cool to see familiar faces as well as some new ones out there in the audience. Thanks for being yeah. here with us. And thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast. We are so, so, so grateful. I said, I've said grateful a lot, but it's true. Triple grateful it's, tonight. It, yeah. For the comments, the feedback, and of course, the support that we receive from you, our listeners, we, we could not appreciate it more. So Jonah, what are people saying about Midwest murder? Well, this one from Marifin, two stars. Too much trying to be funny. Too much yakking and banter for me. Thanks for trying. Okay. I am the funniest oh. person I know. Thank you. Okay. Okay, and you fuckers were supposed to laugh at that and nobody <laughs> laughed at that. But yet, like, yeah, uh, that's OK. You know what? My humor is not for everybody. Hey, it's not it's not for everybody. And I think that sometimes tragedy and comedy or a little bit of levity actually blend together really efficiently. But I get not everybody wants the banter and yeah, that's, that's OK. Thanks for checking it out. Moving on to Mama Do 23. Five stars. Love it. You both do an amazing job going through all the details of each story. Also, I love that you shout out your reviews, good and bad. Keep it up. Yes, we've gotten some traction out of the out of the bad ones. We, we don't we shy also, away we, from those. And we, we do take it internally. I mean, we, we do take the, the criticism and, and all of that. But um, we've gotten some we've definitely gotten some good uh, good traction of out of the guy and me being intellectually lazy. So it's fun. I it's prefer so fun. my own podcasts with banter. And the fact is, we're not trying to be funny. This is this is the no. humans that we are. So if you yeah. hung out with us in, in a general setting, yeah. this is what you get. So you just like, oh, my gosh, she really is that. Awkward. You just hate That's our weird. words. And I get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wow, she, her jokes really aren't that funny. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's neat. You're like, wow, I thought I'd laugh more if I hung out with her. But. <laughs> and it's like, no, oh God, she did not, that wasn't written. She just said that. That's neat. It's like, wow, yeah. is he really a dick all the time? Like, yes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He's not. No. The guy is not so a dick. That's He's what sweet. you'd get anyways. Yeah. What you see is what you get. Literally. It's, it's who we are. And, and you ain't seen nothing yet. Wow. And if you Were those pick, some pity laughs You picked there? up what I was, was putting that? up right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Get the giggles out. Okay. 
This episode is brought to you by Midwest Memoirs. The stories of your family deserve to be heard. Midwest Memoirs captures your living generation stories, jokes, and even tall tales. And your family's jokes are probably funnier than I am. So it's good. Because the most important story you'll ever hear is the story of your family. We've done it with our families and we think it's something every family deserves to do. Keeping in mind that every family dynamic is different, we sit down with a voice you never want to forget. We interview our guest, who is your family member, or even you for a professionally recorded conversation, so the family of your for the story of your family is never forgotten long after they are gone. It's been a beautiful experience so far. So it yeah, has. check us check Midwest Memoirs out on Facebook and Instagram. You can also buy us a hot dish now at buymeacoffee.com. So that's literally what it's called. Some hot <laughs> you really dish. can. You, you can, <laughs> but that's funny. See, this is what I, this is what I did. This is why, this is why you guys can't talk. Cause then I'm like, what? See what? It was funny. They're laughing. Like, all right. Don't justify Dawn out there. I know. Please, please dear God, don't. Anyway, you can buy us a hot dish now at buymeacoffee.com slash Midwest murder. A very, very big shout out to our members who continue to support us. We truly appreciate it. It helps us get case files. It helps us put gas in the car when we're on tour. It helps us do all of those things. And we are truly, truly grateful for keeps it. The light on, keeps yeah. the lights on. Buymeacoffee.com slash Midwest murder. Are we ready? We're going back to. We've been here a few times, actually. Okay. The year is 1983, and we have been here before, so there may be a couple of repeats in here, but just if they're repeated, they're pretty good, like Mario Brothers. Okay. Yeah. So Motorola released the first mobile phone, essentially kind of ruining our lives forever. It was great. Mario, <laughs> Mario Brothers was released as a Nintendo arcade game, and uh, just completely shitting on little siblings everywhere when they got stuck playing stupid Luigi. A lot of player twos uh, were born that day. Let me tell you. I am, I am a player a two player and I've never, I have never gotten over it. And uh, player one over yeah. here. You know what? I, and now when I play with my kids, I make them be Luigi. I was like, suck it up. It's fine. Yeah. I'm like <laughs> you're Luigi. I'm Mario. Yeah. It's cool. Okayest mom ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, the average cost of a new house was $82,600. Yeah. I hear the audible gasp. Well, that, right? just, that was know. a pain. That was pain. Just that wait. Just got released right just there. Just wait. Just wait. It gets better. The average monthly rent was $335. The average income, annual income, was $21,000. Just wait. Yeah, no, it hasn't changed. No, just wait. <laughs> that's true. Uh, the uh, but that that equals equivalent today. To. That's the equivalent to in in 2023 sixty two thousand dollars, right? Not bad. So well, but not average. Yeah. <laughs> and you could buy a Dodge Ram for six thousand dollars, which is equal to. 17,800 today. And there's no shit in way you can buy a Dodge Ram for 17,000 unless it is a 1983 Dodge Ram. Yeah, unless right? it was from the year of this story. Right. Yes. And so for those of for those of you people that are just telling us to not eat avocado toast or stop going to Starbucks, you know what? I'm sorry. There are some there are some disparities here and I would love to discuss them. The, uh, the sign out front should have told you that National Lampoon's vacation premiered. I did write that joke down, and it's not funny. As soon as I read it, I was like, wow, that was pretty shitty. Um, so vacation, uh, trading places, Superman 3, staying alive. We got to see John Travolta with his doing his little strut and, you know, breathe new life into the Bee Gees. Margaret, Margaret Thatcher, thank you, Aaron, for laughing. Uh, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher was reelected as the UK's prime minister. 
Microsoft Word was released along with swatches, and I never got one. A swatch, a swatch. A that swatch. was the smart watch. That no, it wasn't a smart watch. It was a swatch. What the heck was a swatch? Smart for the 80s, guys, okay? Not smart for today. A smartwatch in the 80s, like, had a calculator on it. No, you know? it was not that. Okay, no. What are we talking it, about We were here? not wearing a... No. 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 It was a swatch. It was a swatch. Google it right now while I'm talking. Okay. It was a thing. <clears throat> and, yes, I do make all of the, like, the, the, the year setup, the time frame setup, I absolutely do make it about me. And I'm sorry. Um, and I, but I think it's like I'm reliving my childhood and realizing what toys I never got. Because also in this year, Cabbage Patch dolls came out. And I was like, hmm, thanks, Mom. Never got one of those. And, yeah, so it's, 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 it's like therapy, I think. But, anyway, um, the 3D printer was also invented. And President Ronald Reagan was the first U.S. president to point out how unhealthy Americans were. Yeah. Interesting. I.e. fat, I think is what he was saying. But he was saying it nicely. As I'm about to like down McDonald's when I leave here, but it's fine. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, and in sports news, Super Bowl. I'm sorry, Jonah. Redskins beat the Dolphins. Painful. Yep. Stanley Cup, the Islanders beat the absolute hell out of the Edmonton Oilers. And in World Series, the Orioles beat the Phillies. All right. Now that we're all in the map, right? We're all there. So T South Dakota is just as quaint as it sounds. In 1983, there were approximately 800 residents. In 2023, just to put it into perspective, it has exploded to around 6,000. Exploded. Well, I mean, going from 800 to 6,000, I'd say that's like keeping up with inflation. I mean, that's like, <laughs> that's, um, that's a lot. So part of that might be because it is a short 15 to 20 minute drive from Sioux Falls. I think it's something like 11 miles, but I, again, that whole, whatever, it's in minutes. How so, dare you tell us the miles? I know, I know. For 11 miles? Yeah. I, well, I mean, I think it depending on traffic. That's why I went 15 to 20. Yeah. You know, depends. And residents describe it as a bedroom community because they work and play elsewhere. And just like, I, I didn't make that up. That's, you guys are pumping my ego too far, too hard over here. Like I, like just pumping my tires. Okay. I can't look, I can't look I've never left. heard the term bedroom community either. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. It's a okay. thing. I certainly didn't. Cause they work and play elsewhere. Yeah. Like you sleep there. Okay. That's a right? boring bedroom. I feel. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. Fuck. That's fair. Cool. But I can see where you would think, like, when someone describes it What are you it as, watching, as a, a bunch of TV in there and reading books? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking awesome bedroom. It does make it sound sexier than it is, right? Like, it's a, it's a bedroom community. It's, yeah. So it's yeah. a boring community. Well, All right. I mean. No, no, I'm just, I'm just I'm yeah. poking fun. Yeah. But not in the bedroom I would. there, evidently. <laughs> You guys, I, I just, I almost made a joke. I didn't even mean to do that. How, how's that happen? All right, come on. And I almost, I almost made a joke, and, and then I stopped myself, because it would, this table over here would laugh too hard, and then I'd be like, oh my God, I am the funniest person alive. Okay. Just like any community, when bad things happen, residents ask, how can this happen here? So Edward and Barbara McDowell moved to T in 1979, when Edward began working as a police officer in nearby Hartford, South Dakota. They were raising a young daughter and making ends meet when in 1981, Edward was hired as the chief of police in T. His commute shortened a bit, and to most residents, he did a good job. He was active in the community with his, you know, as a, as a law enforcement officer and really weren't many complaints. I mean, in a town of 800, how, how do you have many? But Seems like a decent gig. Yeah, for sure. 
It's like Surrey, maybe, you know, if, if we're like local, maybe like putting it in perspective. Right. Yeah. And if there was 6,000 people instead of like 47. Okay. 800, 800 at this time in 1983, oh, right, it was 800. Right. 83, yeah. it was 800. Yeah. So Edward was a charming 34 year old Scott. So he had like the Irish brogue and everything. And he was married to 36 year old Barbara. Barbara worked in Sioux Falls and was incredibly intelligent as and she was the chief of library services at Royal C. Johnson Veterans Administration Hospital. So she was, I mean, she was kind of killing it at 36. The McDowell's fit in well in tea and in their short time as residents, they'd made friends and even began a business partnership with Edward's colleague, Darlene, and her husband, Ronald. Darlene and Edward became fast friends when they both started for the city of tea around the same time in 1981. Darlene was hired as the finance officer and in a town that small, it's easy to become friends with your coworkers in different departments because they're likely your neighbors and it's likely in one See building. At the grocery right? stores. Yeah. And, okay. Yep. So on June 15th, 1983, the McDowell's simple, quiet life was smashed to pieces. Edward, who was known to gamble a bit, returned home from the dog racetrack, Sodrek Park, to find Barbara on the floor in front of the kitchen sink in a pool of her own blood. Chief McDowell immediately called the sheriff's department and spoke with Sheriff Ken Albers. And from the looks of the kitchen, it seemed like it was an unattended death where Barbara possibly hit her head so hard or just right on the stove or sink and died. There was no sign. There was no uh, sign of forced entry and nothing indicated otherwise that it was just a simple fall. But still something about the scene seemed suspicious. Running through different possible scenarios, when Sheriff Albers was examining, examining the scene and Barbara's body on the floor, he lifted her head from the floor and blood gurgled from the back of her head. So Sheriff's oh. Alber, Sheriff Albers, while suspicious, said, if you looked at it, you could very well believe she had died of a fall. So just hours later, during the autopsy, the cause of death was determined, which happens during an autopsy usually. It was not a fall or blunt force trauma of some kind. The cause of death was a gunshot wound. A 38 caliber bullet entered from the back of the head, traveled at a slightly upward trajectory through her brain, ricocheted off the front of the inside of her skull, killing her instantly. There was no exit wound. Oh boy. That's, that's a lot different than it was made out to be by the chief there. Yes. So clearly things weren't as they seemed and neither was the relationship between Edward and his colleague slash business partner, Darlene Picker. I feel like everybody's like, well, duh, <laughs> but <laughs> what started as a friendship between Edward McDowell and Darlene Picker, the 32 year old finance officer eventually turned into an intimate relationship. Their friendship started with simple conversations that developed into each of them confiding in one another about their relationships, their marriages. McDowell confided in Plucker that his marriage was a sexless one, and that made him somewhat unhappy. Plucker, having had her colon removed in 1980, mind you, she's 32, so, she, I mean, she Boy. was, yeah, 29. She had her colon removed in 1980 and wore a colostomy bag. She had a similar relationship. She said her husband failed to see her as a woman afterwards, and it seemed that two lonely, very people, very married people were developing an affair. Uh-oh. So it's safe to say that McDowell was not good with finances. He gambled what he earned, and by late 1982 and into 1983, he was spending more than he was earning. McDowell was in major, major debt. He was being hounded by creditors. NSF checks were piling up. Where, 
Is he just gambling at the dog track or anywhere he can? So there's a dog anywhere track in the area. There's a dog track in, in Sioux Falls. Yeah, it closed in wow. 1995. Okay. Yeah. So that's, like, had, that's some old school type of gambling. I'm going yeah. to the dog track. Right. Yeah. Like it closed in not gambling machines. There's, I, I can't imagine they had the scratch offs there back then. Like everybody pumps I mean, money into now. Maybe, maybe they did. This wasn't a scratch off situation. I, I feel like he was deeper than scratch offs. Like he was going like he was, in. He was into it. Okay. Yeah. Into the dark side. Yes. And, uh, so he had, but he had not everything into happened. his wife. Dude. <laughs> he's into this other chick. I'm saying he's met someone else. I was not expecting that. I, I wasn't wow. either. He's a chief of police. I figure he's a pillar of the community. It doesn't seem very pillar like. Wow. Anyway, his gambling activities were putting him more into more of a pickle that caused additional financial strain and stress. The affair between McDowell and Plucker had turned into more than just that. It turned into financial support. McDowell was constantly going to Plucker for money, even so far as giving him money from their business account. Because remember, the McDowells and the Pluckers owned a small business together. Sure. Right? And so... He's manipulated her into giving him money, too. Yes. And what's actually, what's interesting, and there's one thing that they also did a, a business, or they had a business of, um, because he was so deep into gambling, they had a... Let me pull it up here quick, because this is interesting... Oh, were they doing some off the books gambling stuff? Well, no, but they were, okay. he started, they, they started this business. Uh, so it was the two couples and they also went into like bookmaking. So he started a racing tip sheet called quote, red hot flame selections. <laughs> like you really, buddy, you led with that. Like good one. It was a daily sheet that listed the names of greyhounds that McDowell picked from the dog, the racing park that were thought to take the top three spots in each of the 12 or 13 races at the track. So wow. every day there were like 12 or 13 races, those poor dogs, first of all. And then like the little greyhounds. Ugh, so it's horrible. But anyway, the cost of the sheet was a dollar and could be purchased at um, two of the two area bar, bars in Sioux Falls, the, the crow bar, which really good, cool name. And then Stockman's like a tough place. <laughs> I know. And then Stockman's bar and lounge. I don't think it was similar to our Stockman's okay. here. Why not though? A little different. If you know, you know. So you can get bent at the crowbar lounge. <laughs> you could. Yeah. So the owner, so one of them, so it would be either Darlene, uh, Edward McDowell or Barbara McDowell would actually drop those sheets off I, daily. I admire the entrepreneurial spirit of this. Sure. I do. I do. Well, the owner of the crowbar said out of the 10 copies of the sheets that were de delivered to the bar, only a few were sold. The owner of Stockman's bar said, I bet we didn't sell a total of 20. And they had been the doing ones, this for months. The ones we did, people came back asking for a refund because they all lost their money because you're a shit gambler. I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also like, so one of my questions is, was he picking them? Because I mean, he's like going into major debt. So clearly he's not really good at it. And so if he's picking the dogs that he thinks are going to win, like basically is it, are they just people just feeding his bets? I, I mean, I'm not much into gambling with my addictive personality, so I feel like I shouldn't be. No, I, th I think that he thought he was probably good and sure. that's why he kept going. Right. It's like, no, I got it this time. I, feel I like really his do. Like, I really figured otherwise. it out. Hmm. He, I, don't, I don't think yeah. so. So the, like I said, the affair between McDowell and Plucker had turned into financial support. McDowell was, you know, taking money from their business and it was just not good. So by February, February 1983, Plucker was out of money and they were both broke. When Plucker needed money, 
McDowell needed it more. So it's like, he seems cool. So McDowell decided that the only way out of this was to kill his wife, Barbara. <laughs> That's the hell of a conclusion. Can we, can we open up your shirt? Divorce is, well, divorce is easier than murder. Like just save your, save your time. I bud. guess I have no other choice than murder. Yeah. She had a, a $100,000 life insurance policy that combined with her retirement would make all of their problems go away, which I mean, I hate to break it to him. I don't think that's going to happen, but, um, and you're just going to gamble more. You're not going to get rich from the divorce, but it sure as hell would have been easier than the murder and not, I don't know who murdered this poor woman yet, but I feel like it's going a certain way. I feel like he could have gone for therapy. Maybe hit up a GA meeting, something like that. It it might help. Just don't gamble. Well, just do it in the right way, I think. Oh. So realizing the urgency that same month, so in February, Plucker and McDowell devised a plan to kill Barbara using her medication. Seems obvious, right? So Plucker filled a three-month prescription of Brevicon, an oral contraceptive. Okay. So they, they did their poison research here. And McDowell started switching those pills out for Barbara's thyroid medication. You can't overdose from birth control. I'm so confused by the fuzzy logic of this concept of attempted murder. I can't tell you how deep into WebMD I got to make sure that I was looking up the right Brevicon. Did did he know that he was getting birth control as a poison mechanism like a, as a kill device i i don't understand the logic okay. and i didn't i didn't push that part this this i'm trying to stretch the logic and think I, maybe right. if it if it's in place of the thyroid she's not doing the thyroid and taking unwanted birth yeah. control I, that it I mean, does something maybe and they didn't have google in 83 so i mean i i will i will so he went to the library and read a read the wrong shit I guess. But seriously, I was so deep into WebMD. And then I was like, Brevicon, 1983. Brevicon, 1981. Like, I was just going all over the 80s trying to look up. No, it is it is the pill, you guys. Like, that is what it is. And I mean, I don't, I don't, what are you going to hormone someone to death? Like, I mean, <laughs> as someone, as someone who is pushing 40, it's not possible. Okay. But like... Like what? So, so basically, this person is going to if you OD because then of course I then I got deep into so now my FBI agent watching my Google search is like like oh my gosh what is she doing right but like, like, no. gonna reach like out and what? give me a hug but like <laughs> like you can't so when you overdose from birth control you're probably gonna have some you know some odd menstrual bleeding you might throw up a bit like but you're not going to die it is not fatal. So when that wasn't working and still desperate to find a solution, McDowell came up with a second plan to murder his wife. Plan B. Plan B. Good one. Shit. Wow. That was good. That was good. It's it's not scripted. And he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it. I I swear to heck that that was not. And that asshole in the comments said we're not funny. (laughs) I just I rest my rest my case, sir or ma'am. But our our banter is a little out of hand. I will say that. It is. Yeah. All right. I can't help it. You guys are a great crowd. Like I mean, this it's good. So, Plan B uh, came. 
here. So McDowell came up with the, uh, the plan B to murder his wife. McDowell was going to hit Barbara on the head with a hammer. Hammer, not a hammer. Hammer. <laughs> the intention was to make it look like his wife had a dizzy spell, fell on the stairs, and then hit her head. Thinking this sounded like a logical plan, Plucker bought a new hammer for McDowell to use. <laughs> uh, but actually, what? no, but I think actually putting some thought behind this dumb shit plan, like this, this, they thought if McDowell used an old hammer, it could potentially have rust particles that would later be found on the wound. Man. Right? I mean, that is so, some real galaxy brain level thinking there. Well, going from the first plan to this plan, I was like, what, what happened to you guys? But uh, this plan was not attempted. And I guess you can apply the quote if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, because a third plan was born in April. McDowell asked, and at this point, at the, at the third plan, like, dude, do you think maybe the universe is telling you that you shouldn't? Right? Like, it's like, this is not the right path to go down. Like, right. figure it out. As if just not killing someone couldn't be sign enough. Well, there's that, yes. But, yeah. A and B failures. Mm -hmm. Terrible. And yeah. you're not giving up. Pay attention, buddy. That's, yeah. So McDowell asked Plucker to meet him behind her house at a day, on a day in April. He showed her a gun that belonged to the City of Tea Police Department. McDowell asked Plucker to go to his apartment and shoot his wife using that gun. Oh, now he wants to put this poor woman up to it. He's leveling up. Yeah. Yes. Well, he's, he's leveling up to make someone else do the dirtiest of the dirty. Right. Well, there's a reason I feel like the first two didn't yeah. work. If you want something done right, you got to ask a woman. Sometimes, sometimes, I mean, I don't like taking the trash out. It's so. situationally dependent. Yeah. He, so he pleaded with her, telling her that if he shot, if she shot her, or if he shot her, excuse me, if he shot her, he would be the first suspect, right? Everybody looks to the spouse or the boyfriend, right? right. It's just, it's just natural. Out of desperation, he bargained with her, telling her that if it came to it, or if it became necessary, he'd kill her husband, Ronald. She told him No. Murder trade, no. Yeah, double murder. That's okay. nice. I feel like this plan is going well. So as if it's an average conversation to have on the daily, the discussion over the third plan concocted continued to grow for two months. Like they continue this conversation for two months. That makes my skin crawl. Each time Plucker told him no or tried to talk him out of it, he just, he kept bringing it back up again. And it just, it just would not end. So on June 15th, McDowell begged and pleaded with Plucker to kill Barbara. They needed money. And he told her that if she did not, he would, he would just, he would not just leave. He would kill himself and desperate to keep McDowell. She finally gave in. <sighs> so the original plan was for Plucker to shoot Barbara near the stairs. So it looked like an obvious fall. Plucker told McDowell there was no way she'd be able to make that work. So McDowell told her to just walk up behind her and shoot her basically wherever she was. How are you trying to make it look like a fall when you're going to shoot her? There's a gun in this. CSI hadn't come out yet, you guys. So it's, I mean, it's just, it's fine. So McDowell tried to think of everything except a oh. successful plan. <laughs> but, but he made a plan for everything. So it's almost terrifying how well he could craft an explanation. And again, assuming he'd be the first suspect, he came up with an airtight alibi. He was going to go to the Sojak Park and attend a few races. He instructed Plucker that once she shot Barbara, she was to hide the gun, take a shower, and wash her clothes so that she can get rid of any of the gunpowder residue that might remain. 
From his boot, he pulled out the gun belonging to the city of T. So he's still holding on to this thing that is typically contained in a safe at the police department or the office. So he placed it along with four bullets on the table. He showed her how to load it and how to use it. Plucker argued with McDowell, telling him that she could not do this, and he assured her that she could. Gosh, why? I feel like I can hear his manipulative voice just pushing her into this. Let me... You know what? This guy sucks already. We already know he does. So I was going to... Let me... Let me describe this guy. And you know, in the eighties where when people were 34, they, they looked like they were, you know, 54, right? Like, cause of the mustache, because it's just, everybody just looked, I mean, there were 18 year olds that looked like they were 32. Right? right. And it's like, wow, you grow a better mustache than my dad. Like it's, I mean, so this guy who charming, you know, and if you, if you like an accent, he's got the Scottish brogue. So it's like, Ooh, this guy's sexy. He's got this receding hairline, which <laughs> That happens. I'm not, no, no, no. I, bald is cool. <laughs> but like thick framed glasses, but it's not, it's not like a receding hairline, but it's like, it's long and it's just like, he's not, it's almost like Michael Bolton, but not quite that long. Right. And Scottish Michael Bolton, chief of police. Thick, like, like thick, like serial thick, killer glasses, not long, not long hair, but no, 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 he, not, not serial killer glasses, oh, thick framed, glasses. but it, like thick framed glasses. Like he went to basic training in 1971. Right. Okay. And, and then just did not, he just kept them. I, right. Seems like on, he's like on the B team or C team of top gun type of character. Kind of, I, guy. I feel like, yeah. Okay. Like super thin upper lip and this like protruding chin that's got the dimple in the chin. Right. And so I'm not painting an attractive picture, and there is a reason. Uh, he's not, I mean, I don't know, if you talked with your Scottish accent, maybe, and if it is charm, it'd be like, okay, <laughs> hi. Uh, but, but, I mean, I think, like, but looking, but looking at the picture, I was like, ugh. Plus he two just... points if you play the bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was just, it was... That's that's the guy. That's that's the guy. That's here. a great. No, you had to paint that picture. I'm yeah, glad. Yeah, I was going to wait, but that. I thought everybody knows he's a piece of shit anyway. So, <laughs> so, Plucker waited until the time was right while McDowell attempted to perfectly craft his day. And with Barbara in Sioux Falls at a work meeting, it was easy for him to pull it off. At 7 p.m., he left his house. He dropped off his daughter at the Pluckers' house because they have two kids. Seems perfect, right? But unbeknownst to his daughter, Heather was part of the cover story. He then stopped in Jefferson, which is not far from T, to check on a race dog that he housed there. When he got to Sioux Falls, he dropped off a post-dated check for $75, because this guy, you know, would absolutely post-date a check, right? Can you not cash this until then? <laughs> Thanks. And, and he dropped that off to his wife, right? From there, he then went to the dog park and gambled money that he did not have. Yeah. So meanwhile, N.T., in an uncharacteristic move during summer vacation, Plucker put the kids to bed at about 9.30 p.m., so her two children and the visiting child, Heather. Following the plan that she was instructed, at 10 p.m., she placed the gun in her cowboy boot and began her bicycle ride to the McDowell residence. Match. Yeah. Banana seat. (laughs) Thinking it's a banana seat here situation like like Debo's bike on Friday (laughs) I would so Plucker knocked on the door and Barbara who had just gotten home from her meeting in Sioux Falls answered 
According to Plucker, she said, quote, I said something like, let's have a chat or how about a cup of coffee? Something to get her over to the sink. She walked over to the sink and that put her back to the stairs, just like it was supposed to happen. I walked straight past the table into the living room. I took the gun out of my boot. She was looking down into the sink. And that's when I must have walked up behind her and put the next thing. The gun was up to her head very close. There was a huge noise. My ears were ringing. She went limp. There was a thump. I took one leap over her and went out the door. She then went straight home, as instructed, took a shower and washed her clothes. She hid the gun in her garage, but then became worried and paranoid and moved it to her car. As Plucker was cleaning up the remnants of McDowell's life, McDowell was finishing up his alibi at the track. He left at 11 p.m. On his way back, he stopped at 11.45 to call Plucker to make sure she had done what she was told, or as she was told. He then instructed her to wash her hands in gasoline. Oh, to make sure all the gunpowder residue was gone. And while you're at it, light a match. Like, really, guy? Like, <laughs> what the hell? Because if the, if the gasoline isn't good enough, maybe the gunpowder will erupt or something. That's not how a gun works. I know it. Don't come at me. Anyway. But if, if, they, can make, if they can do something stupid, I can say something stupid, okay? There, just, there. So, using his daughter as cover there. Yeah. That's so... Oh. So then on the phone call, she told him that he would need to take the weapon from her car and put it in his... McDowell returned to tea at approximately 12, 10 a.m., locked the post office, which was part of his duties, then stopped by the Plucker residence for coffee and to check on his daughter. Can we pause for a second? Um, who are these people drinking coffee at like midnight and 10 o'clock? And like, if somebody showed up at my house and asked for a cup of coffee at 10, 15, I'd be like, um, do you want like a beer or well, something? I think- like, do you want a martini? Like, we're not doing coffee now. Like, I don't, I mean. I feel like in the, in the eighties in a small town like this, where in big cities they did cocaine, you just did, you just did did the coffee coffee at 10 o'clock. Okay. Cocaine hadn't made its way inland quite yet. It's pre-meth era. So coffee is the best of what we got at 10 PM when you really want to get wired. Like 12 AM. I don't get it. So he gets, he gets to the Plucker residence for coffee. And to check on his little girl there, which I'm sure was full of shit, but I'm sure that's not the reason. So he visited with Plucker and her husband, who was also there, for about 45 minutes before going home to find the body of his wife, who he knew had been laying there for three hours. Once Barbara's body had been removed, after everybody had done their investigation, so later that morning, Plucker and McDowell returned to the McDowell home, where Plucker would stay until the next afternoon. Wow. Yeah. So she just came over. Now we're having a sleepover. Yeah. I make room for my colostomy bag on the bed. Oh, no, no, no. We're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. I'm not doing it, but I'm just, she's, I'm moving in. It's all coming with me. I killed your wife. Here we are. No, we're not doing that. And now... I don't know where I was going to go with that. I had something I was going to say. and I'm I mean, that's, things are moving quickly. Well, yeah. I After mean, plan C was finally executed. Yeah. You got to check your words sometimes, sir, buddy. <laughs> so on, on Monday, June 20th, evidence, the bullet that was recovered from Barbara McDowell's body and weapons from the McDowell home were sent to the state crime lab. Law enforcement was, uh, could not have been more quiet about the details. They kept it very, very, very quiet, and they shared very little with the media. 
behind the scenes, they were already doing their investigative work and uh, finding some shit. We'll just say that. So instead of rushing into charges, though, they played the slow game, which I found quite interesting. But I think there was also so much to go through. I mean, how do you not play the slow game? Well, and you're, you're dealing with a chief of police who, on some level, he's got he's got to know some of his shit about investigations and police work. There's some level, in spite of all the stupidity throughout his plans and mechanisms, he knows how law enforcement works to some level. So he's prepared. This is a more, I don't know, possibly dangerous suspect who has more knowledge and power sure, perhaps than the average, than the average, than the average Joe. So yeah, I do sure. like playing mm-hmm. the slow game because this also being a small town, I feel like lots of people are talking. Lots of people probably saw oh, something. Yeah. Lots and, of people with rumors with so. And not necessarily seeing things, but the rumor mill was there's, holy cats. There's like, no way these two were getting away as cleanly as they think for several years with their strange affair without someone noticing. You'd be surprised okay. because even, even, Plucker's husband, Ronald, knew that her and McDowell were close, but never suspected an affair. Okay. So even her, even her own husband. And, and I mean, I think, you know, sometimes you just don't want to know either, but people had big, big opinions. Yeah. A lot of them are right. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into that. So during the investigation, McDowell and his daughter went to stay with his in-laws in Wisconsin for a couple of weeks. When he returned, he stayed with his brother in Sioux Falls. And McDowell allowed gambling to take over his life at this point, and he was attempting to make a career out of it. Oh, boy. In doing so, he, con- he continued to build a brand new book-making business with his brother and uncle. The three McDowells, just two weeks after the murder, went into a couple of area bars to pass out their business cards. So these three fuckers are networking two weeks after the murder. Do you think the brothers, his brother and uncle, know that... He he did that? I don't know that they... I think they thought he was innocent. I mean, not to that level. Because I think one was one declined to comment, and then the other one so, to, to media, and then the other one, when, when media would ask him things, would only speak to correct the... You know, all of the information that they'd gotten to that point because it was wrong. You know, so he wanted to sure. correct everything. So I, I, I think the brother, the brother and the uncle had... Or definitely supported him, I would say. And this supported is, his innocence, but sure. probably did not know that he was actually a murderer. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> All right. Right. So just one fucker and his two buddies then. His, two, his, his brother and his uncle. Yeah. Because, yeah. What's, what's interesting is, so they went into the same crowbar and the Stockman's bar, right? And it was, this, this business could not, this is kind of a one-off. It's just, I found it interesting. But this, this business could not have been more unsuccessful. <laughs> like... According to court documents, Max Service, makes sense, McDowell, right, had losses of approximately 2,950 in two weeks, and the business folded after nearly three weeks in existence. I mean, at least they called it quits That's early, but... Very quick path to failure. Yeah. With that, and, that and one. It's easy to judge, I think, too, but, you know, everybody grieves differently. So I think it's... You know, maybe this guy was just trying to, even though he was maintaining his innocence, he was just trying to get on with his life. I don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I'm just, just throwing that out there, you know, so I'm not a complete asshole. No, no, you, this guy, no, you're not being an asshole. This guy killed his wife for money. Well, at this point, we don't know that. Well, right? it, okay. Innocent until proven guilty. Fair. Well, but the, I mean, the, the public, the, the public here. doesn't know that. We know that because, I mean, he came up with a plan, but the public doesn't know that at this point. 
At this point, it hasn't been released, of course, that no. they found the bullet, any of that. No it's arrests, just, have, oh, even, no arrests yeah, have even been right. made at this point. So, but he's just, his, his behavior is suspicious. So, understandably so, the city of T had requested McDowell's resignation by the beginning of July because here you have the chief of police who is under heavy, heavy investigation for murdering his wife, among other things, and he refused to give it. <laughs> <laughs> he refused to resign. He refused to resign. That's a bold move. But yet still very few details were released about the investigation, which, which might indicate that it's sitting stagnant, but it was anything but, right? So on Friday, July 22nd, 1983, so just a little over a month, just before midnight, an arrest was made for the murder of Barbara McDowell. The charges were first-degree murder, attempted grand theft by deception, three counts of conspiracy to commit forgery, and grand theft by embezzlement. Guess who was arrested? Not the cop. Probably the cop. Plucker. Maybe even yep. her husband. Nope. Plucker. Plucker. Well, of the female, course. The female Plucker. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So first degree murder for obvious reasons. He's right? been setting that up from the start. <clears throat> so attempted grand theft by deception. So in October 1981, there was an extortion plot against two Sioux Falls City officials. And there was an attempt to blackmail the finance director and the comptroller. It gets better. What? Three counts of conspiracy to commit forgery. So Plucker had forged Barbara McDowell's signature multiple times, many, many times. And the signature was used to get three loans in 1982 and 1983 from two Sioux Falls lending companies. And loans were approximately $4,500 combined. McDowell and Plucker went to Sioux Falls three different times in 1982 and 1983 to apply for loans and each time, Plucker posed as Barbara McDonald, McDowell. Oh, man, that's so dirty. The pair used... It's, it's dirtier. The pair used Barbara's life insurance policy to get joint credit life insurance, which means the insurance company would take over payments on the loans if Barbara died. McDowell applied for the death benefits after the murder. So not only will they no longer have to pay the loan, but then they'll get his hundred thousand or her $100,000 in life insurance. Well, their dipshit plan just got a little more complicated yeah. beneath the surface. Yes. And more charge is charges grand theft by embezzlement because she diverted money from elite uniforms, their business together. And so it was a $10,000 loan under the business. And she diverted 5,000 of that loan over to Mr. Scott guy McDowell. So no other details about the arrest were made. Plucker was taken to McKinnon Hospital in Sioux Falls for observation. According to Sheriff Albers, in reference to the observation, he said, quote, I can't go into it. It appeared to us that she should have a medical check. She did and was hospitalized. What led to the observation? We shall see. So one thing that investigators promised, other than details, would be that there would be more arrests. And in the fall, charming Edward McDowell was arrested on the same counts of what Plucker had been. But his equaled a total of 17, which would later be 21 counts of conspiracy, forgery, and grand theft, 16 of which were felonies. Of course, he pleaded no guilty, not guilty, and was released after posting a $50,000 bond. Wow, he put up a 50K bond. Yeah, yeah. So in the fall, I mean, now we're, now we're cooking, right? Now it's, it's moving forward, and, and uh, it was time to build the case. And State's Attorney Jeff Mastin had an incredible amount of drama to work with. The facts of the case seemed more like an 80s soap opera than real life. And Jeff Mastin was an up-and-coming State's Attorney. He was kind of 
pinpointed for the uh, state uh, for the attorney general of South Dakota. I mean, so he had a, a very promising political career ahead of him if he if he wanted. So as the case moved forward, two individuals were offered immunity in exchange for their testimony: James McDowell, the brother, and Shelley Amato, a former coworker. Both forged names on loan documents. And Edward McDowell was as arrogant as he was charming. He still acted as though he were untouchable and continued to maintain his innocence. One thing he didn't expect was for Darlene Plucker to turn against him. The, the, the more I hear this, I, I start to wonder how many people were in on it, how many people were benefiting from her potential death that McDowell had pulled in. It, or was he just charming people into doing this? That too. They may not have been willingly or knowingly pulled in, but whether they were buying into the actual murder itself or just McDowell's promises think, and ideas and this yeah. hope for money, like it, he's got other people forging and, and stealing. Well, I think he was also telling a sob story and, and this super cool guy had a type. He had a type for tall, slender, blonde, super slim, finance officers. So you have to say, I mean, it's got to be a little bit of calculation there, right? It's like, hmm, she's blonde. Oh gosh, she's into money. Okay. I can get money from her, you know, because this guy was money hungry big time. So he was able to draw a lot of people in. He was. I, and I think that just goes to show how charming he actually, actually was. So Plucker confessed on a recorded telephone call to the state's attorney in a nutshell, she told the prosecuting attorney she told she, that she shot Barbara McDowell and that Edward McDowell planned and orchestrated the murder and came up with cover stories, which also included blackmail at this point. She subsequently pleaded guilty. They moved it quickly. And Plucker, uh, she pled guilty, guilty to conspiring to commit murder. Nothing else. That was it. All charges were dropped as part of the plea, plea bargain. And she was sentenced to 50 years in prison. And she promised to testify against McDowell. Just an interesting note, you know, Jeff Mastin, the, the prosecutor, the state attorney, had enough faith in her story that because it matched evidence that had been gathered and considered it reliable, everything matched. So it, it seemed like it was legit. She was able to verify information that hadn't been yeah. made public yeah. based on their investigation, yeah. which... So when the media is not getting information, there's which, a reason, of course. I think. Yeah. So... Prior to the trial, McDowell's 17-count indictment was dismissed, but replaced with first-degree murder. And according to State's Attorney Mastin, quote, it's both in the defense's interest and the state's interest to have the simplest possible case. There hasn't been any change at all in the status of this case. So in South Dakota, murder is punishable by death or life in prison. I, I agree with that move. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the most important thing that, you know, the right. most tragic thing is, yeah. Well, and they forged... Forgive the harshness of this, but they forged a dead woman's name. What I mean, her credit score doesn't matter anymore, right? Like, it's, okay, and I I'm, and that, I'm not, that and I'm not being clear funny. to me. So they forged her name after she died. No, before, before, before. she died. Okay, yes. so they didn't forge a dead woman's name. No, she was but but like, but at this kill. point, I mean, yeah. why why proceed with charges if you can get them for her murder? You know, it just seems like it, it makes more sense. You know, from my not law degree. So, like any self-respecting defense attorney. He requested the trial be moved. And in a surprising move, the judge granted his motion and the trial was moved to Rapid City due to extensive pretrial publicity. And it was estimated to cost the taxpayers $50,000, which 
which is equal to just under $150,000 today. It's about six hours away, so not an in, insubstantial relocation right. to the other side of the state. Well, That's the western know, side of the lodging, state. Lodging, travel, right. you know, all that. After the trial, it was estimated to be around $140,000. So I feel like he missed his budget there. But So to cut down on costs, though, the prosecution originally planned to call 146 witnesses, and it was pared down to a 78 so by March 20th, the jury was seated for Edward McDowell's murder trial. And some notable testimonies. McDowell's mother came directly from Scotland to testify in her son's trial. And very, very soft-spoken in a thick Scottish accent, quote, lacked in a love life, but the couple had a deep respect for each other, liked each other, and were kind to each other. She also said, quote, Barb had no time for sex. She didn't want that as part of her marriage. She also said, quote, Darlene Plucker was not a nice person to have around. She was disrespectful the way she fussed over Eddie with his wife so recently dead. She claimed Plucker appeared to be obsessed with her son and his daughter, Heather. And after the murder, she acted as though she were, quote, like the lady of the house. So you totally called it. Like when the next day when, you know, like hours after Barbara's body had been taken away, like she's just I'm in. swooping in. Oh, creepiness. So Plucker's mother also testified She'd heard rumors that her daughter was having an affair with McDowell, but, and the, and her and her daughter had a very close relationship prior to McDowell coming along. And so after Plucker met McDowell, she said, quote, she acted like she didn't want us around. And by the first half of 1983, she testified that Plucker's weight dropped to less than 90 pounds. Quote, just, she was just a nervous wreck, nothing but skin and bones. So then Plucker testified and she sat incredibly still very soft-spoken, sometimes her voice barely audible, her hands together in her lap, and also gaining nothing from this testimony. So I think that's important to, like she's not getting anything in return for this. So she claimed that McDowell had a hypnotic effect on her. Quote, he'd always say the right thing to me to make me feel on top of the world, but in the same breath, he could make me feel that there was nothing worth living for. He could make me feel so low, and the only way to feel high again was to do what he said. So that's icky, in my opinion. That's, this poor woman felt feels like she was put up to and, and harassed and manipulated by this guy at, at every turn. I mean, she ultimately bought in and she's responsible for those actions, but I just can't, I can't help but feel she was, but she was constantly harassed and pressured and feeling perhaps even weakened from her medical condition. Well, and I think weakened more. from his abuse. I mean, because that's right. abuse. Yes. Manipulation is abuse. So... She also testified that on the day of her arrest, McDowell suggested she write a confession slash suicide note and then take 15 tranquilizers. Oh, this fucking guy. Of course he did. <clears throat> Quote, he told me if I would take some pills, just enough to knock me out and confess, they would get me on some sort of mental problem. I would serve a few months and he would be waiting for me when I got out. Sounds dreamy. <laughs> So her stepfather testified to his vehicle being at the Pluckers' home, uh, his, his flashy Thunderbird. He's probably, like, blasting REO Speedwagon and shit, like, just rolling up. Like Billy Squire? Yeah, like, yeah. So McDowell had the Firebird. Thunderbird, yeah. Thunderbird. Yeah, yeah. And so he, yeah, so the, I mean, the he had his, his vehicle had been seen at her house. So it, 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 there was corroboration to her testimony here. So... Then McDowell testified because, of course, he's arrogant enough to think that he should. Wow. So 
basically, in a nutshell, he testified that his marriage was good except for the lack of sex. I felt like there was like really big focus on sex in this one. I, I don't know. It was very weird to me, but so the, uh, the lack of sex made him murderous in conjunction guess, with the yeah. gambling thought the, thought really... the lack of sex was due to a sexual experience his wife had in college and he'd urged her to go to counseling for years. Of course he did. And then he denied all claims of past affairs or wanting to kill his wife. And it sounds like a stand up testimony from the chief of police here, former right. chief of police. So the, yeah, because at this point he's they they kicked him out. Yes. Like he's not he's not the chief police anymore. But him on the stand, that accent, he just won the jury. I'm... So when I said he had a type, he had a type, and those women, three of them, in the same day or in the same week, testified. One of which was Plucker, and then two other women who were also finance officers in small towns that he had worked in. So, other women who he got to sign to sign okay. and all of that. Yes. So both had had sexual relationships with him. They were totally in love with him until they weren't. McDowell's setting up franchises. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So on April 29th, after instructions from the judge, the jury went into deliberation. They had a verdict in less than seven hours. Unexpectedly, McDowell's attorney, oh, it was guilty. Oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah. They returned a verdict of Guilty. guilty. Unexpected, unexpectedly, McDowell's attorney claimed his client did not receive a fair trial. He was not uh, sentenced to death. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. That came back, the, that uh, sentencing trial was, or sentencing hearing was uh, less than 10 minutes. After, did they push after, for the death penalty on him? They did not. Okay. They did not seek it. And after the trial lasted 58 days, his sentencing was under 10 minutes. And just when you think I'm done with this story, I'm not. So McDowell's attorney requested, does anybody else, whenever I say McDowell, do you guys think of coming to America? Like it has been going through my head McDowell's, this entire yeah. time. And I'm like, they, they got the big, I'm Mac. washing, we I'm got washing the lettuce Mick. next week. I'm on fries. Yeah, I know. Like the whole thing is it's anyway. So McDowell's attorney requested that he be released on bond while they await the decision on a new trial. Wow, that is a bold move, sir, um, because that wasn't wasn't decided until like 89. And so it was it was insane. Uh, that was, of course, denied. Uh, Sid Strange, his attorney said, Sid Strange, Sid Strange, that's his okay. name. Like, okay. I feel like I mean, he should have he should have been a rock star, not a um, not a I don't know. He should have been doing like for a second lines there, of coke I, and I, shit. I thought we were getting literally like a quote from some random rock star who chimed in. But no, that's no, just his it's, lawyer, it's his attorney. Sid it's his attorney okay. said, quote, because he hasn't been able to maintain maintain contact with his nine year old daughter, quote, to say the least. This has been heartbreaking for him. I'd also like to point out that her her grandpa brought her to Sioux Falls regularly for visitation with him. So mm. it's full of shit. His alibi daughter. So during his, during his appeal, it claimed his constitutional rights were violated during the trial for three big reasons. The prosecutor used the trial for political gain. He had ineffective counsel. Duh. They, everybody claims that. And then his Miranda rights were not read four separate times. That peti petition was... Four. Four. Okay. That petition was denied in June 1990. So then it turned into a bit of a gong show because he claimed he was being held illegally after that and then sent to the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. He claimed he was being illegally detained. Yes. That's a leap? Yes. So Heather lived with her maternal grandparents in Wisconsin. She continued to, to live there and, and have a stable home life. A year after the murder... Barbara remained in an unmarked grave. 
Because of the legal aspect of the case, her insurance benefits had yet to be paid. Her dad said, quote, we can't put a monument on the grave or even a damn thing. The plot is not even paid for. Yeah. So because of, and it was because of all the legal bullshit, right? It's, it's not going to get paid. Plucker's husband, Ronald, and their two daughters were not ostracized from the community. They were welcomed still. They weren't kind of... They, well, weren't they, the, they had nothing to do with it. Well, they had nothing to do with it, but it's, you know, it's still guilty by association at times. Yeah. Plucker was granted work release and residence in a halfway house in November 1990 after serving seven years. And then she was subsequently granted parole in June 1991 after proving her what? debt to society. And Plucker and her husband, Ronald, divorced. So then, in 1992... Did they stay, they stayed married during her tenure in prison and then got divorced partially after? Through, partially okay, through. Partially through. Mm-hmm. Okay, partially through. Okay. Yep. So but they man, maintained, that's, they maintained contact. Be rough. You're married the whole time you get out. And by the way, I want a divorce. It's now like, that you're out, we're yeah. getting divorced. Peace. Yeah. That, okay. So on July 26th, 1992, to the editor. Oh boy. As you are aware, KSFY revealed publicly a letter written by Darlene Plucker some four months prior to my trial exposing my being set up to, as she phrased it, save her neck. Since that letter clarifies that Darlene Plucker acted on her own when she took the life of my wife, Barbara, in parentheses, RIP. (laughs) I didn't make that up. In June 1983, I am now being targeted and invited to commit a crime. While that much is clear, I cannot prove these invitations to be at the direction of the Lincoln County State's Attorney, Attorney General's Office, or prison officials. I can only surmise that because evidence exists to clear me of a first-degree murder charge, that someone desires for me to commit a crime while being imprisoned, perhaps to somehow justify my being a tenant of this penitentiary. Due to the fact that I gave my word not to, ex- not to expose the two individuals who have advised me of two separate incidents, I cannot help but wonder if a particular individual acting for and on behalf of the state is extending a personal invitation through entrapment to have me commit a crime of some sort. Is this justice? Signed, Edward McDowell, inmate South Dakota State Penitentiary, Sioux Falls. Wow. Is this justice? So, uh, he's a little off. He's a little off. He's still imprisoned. Um, in 2003, he sued the South Dakota State Penitentiary and then represented himself. So it's, it's like, dude, would you take out your own appendix? No? Okay. Like, I mean, hire the professionals. He sued them to have nine medical procedures com- completed and also sued them for several hundred thousand dollars in damages. And then continued with demands that he wanted prior to the surgeries or, you know, during recovery and everything. Digital color TV, it was 2003, okay? So, (laughs) 2003, gateway computer, again, 2003. A A gateway computer? Will you make the the monthly payments on my gateway computer? (laughs) (laughs) Come on. A West Bend coffee pot. Approval to join a club to buy DVDs and CDs. Oh, my God. I just want 18 CDs for nine cents. Columbia House. Come on. And and a free weekend in Sioux Falls, in a Sioux Falls hotel before tests and surgeries. It did not go far. So this guy's super cool. That's uh, that's that's him. 
What an absolute piece of work. I the, am a little shocked that Plucker got out. I, I, I feel like, I don't know. The two. I, I feel super bad for, for, for Plucker, but she did, she did pull the trigger and take Barbara's life. And I don't know that, I don't know that she had enough time served for her role in this, even though McDowell clearly had some element of power over and her manipulation, yeah. and, and manipulation. Yeah. It's a little shocking to hear how quickly she, she got out on parole. I mean, the parole board, I mean, it's not like she, you know, convinced anybody. I mean, she, the, the parole board said you're approved for a work release program, you know? And I mean, so she did what she was supposed to do according to the parole board. Yeah. It, it's hard not to, to, to look at how I mean, much you, seven a, years for murder though, that's seven I, years for murder. I'm, I'm not condoning. I'm, yeah, yeah, I don't know. No, but, I know. but I think it's, it's hard not to look at how much of a, a victim that she was right as well. Not saying that what she did was right. And I'm not condoning what she did, but if you look at that manipulation, well, she's factor for sure a victim. And, I agree. And she, I, I think even on the stand, like before she, or before she took the stand, when she was explaining to the state's attorney, she was worried about what he would think. Yeah. And so she was sitting there, you know, prepping for her testimony and saying how, you know, this is, this is how it went down, but was nervous to be in front of him because he was like a tranquilizer to her. So in- interesting point about so many of these victims or people who got caught up in a murder plot, how they were sort of sucked in by this manipulative effort of somebody like, like McDowell, like we've seen it time and again. And even after knowing they are guilty and terrible, you've done terrible things, terrible things. You're going to jail, you're going to prison. You might, you might face the death penalty, all this terrible shit coming their way. And their first concern is not any of that. It's what does my manipulator think? Shocking and, and, and terrible and poor Barbara. Yeah. I mean, and, and Heather, I mean, she, she continued to, to again, live a, live a, live a stable life. And the two Plucker girls, they grew up to be very successful. I mean, it's, yeah, it's incredible. So resources for today, the peoplehistory.com, ESPN.com, and then also court documents, Uh, a heavy, heavy portion came from court documents today. And then also staff from the Argus leader in Sioux Falls and the rapid city journal. So check out our merch store. And then if you're here tonight, buy all of this merch because I don't want to carry it out of here. And then be sure to, su- please, and then be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on whichever platform you find us on, Midwest Murder. A big thanks to everyone who has. Midwest Murder is hosted by Joan Lanto and Don Palumbo and produced by The Good Talk Network. This episode was written by myself, and we appreciate you listening and your support. Thank you, Mina. Thank you, Atypical. Atypical.